Hey, welcome guys. I hope you guys are doing well and staying safe in whatever part of the world you're in. And welcome to another episode of m Stories. And uh, fortunately for us, we are also being joined by our co-host, Marcella Hall. Hey, Marcella. Hey, Anirban. How are you? Happy Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Friday. And and the other thing, of course, is we are quite excited to have a new guest in our interview today, somebody who's spent years in other countries. He is cross-cultural by birth and he's worked in different parts of the world and he's got some very interesting stories uh, to talk with us. So we are privileged to have Richard Vincent to join us. Hey, Richard, welcome to our show. Thank you, Anifan. Uh, same here. Nice to meet you, Marcella. Nice to meet you, Richard. Absolutely. So why don't we get started with a brief background, brief history, introduction about you. You've got a very, very colorful background there. Thank you, Anifan. Well, listen, I'm a, I'm a leadership consultant. I mean, that's a short version. But I've, I bring 25 years of experience, uh, uh, national in the Netherlands, but uh, I think I work with the uh, bigger... Uh, leadership consulting and search firms uh, in Europe and Asia. I've been in senior management positions in Europe and for Asia Pacific uh, with uh, you know, some of the big public listed uh, brand names. Excellent, excellent. As you know, uh, our m stories, we uh, we want to talk about uncertainties that uh, organizations face. And plus, you've got a wider, broader experience as well right. so right. We, we'll, we may also bring in some of the stories from other kinds of transformation that we are involved in so uh, but let's get started on your perspective on different kind of uncertainties that exist yeah so if you look at the different uh, kind of uncertainties what i've seen is i've seen let's say uh, dutch companies acquiring other dutch companies i've seen um, american companies acquiring european companies and what you see over there is that uh, um, yeah, for me, it's all about leadership. Eh? If, if the leadership, if you, if you acquire a company, what is your objective and how are you going to uh, make it work? And, and, and what I see is that the uh, starting point of many firms, uh, very many companies, is that they take themselves as a frame of reference. So they go in with the Dutch glasses, with a Dutch mindset, acquiring a company in the UK, acquiring a company in China, acquiring a company in Brazil, but with the Dutch glasses on. And there things go wrong. And I've seen this also with, um, let's say, Japanese companies acquiring American companies or, or um, in, in all kinds of cultures, I've seen this. And I think this is something, uh, if you talk about uncertainty, um, how do you handle this from a uh, pers company perspective? What do you need to do to make sure that you don't make mistakes? Because if you go in with your Dutch mindset to acquire a company in the UK, the culture in the UK is different from the Netherlands. Um, the thinking is different. The acting is different. So you set up to that things will not go right. And that's a pity. You had mentioned before, too, the three building blocks towards building a successful company, a successful business as leadership strategy and organizational culture. So really right. just kind of underscoring the organizational culture that you could have, two. But without the third, you're really, you know, not necessarily enabling success. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it starts with leadership. Leadership um, influences strategy, uh, defines the strategy, and leadership can also define the culture. How do we behave? How do we act together as a team? As, uh, are we all individuals? Are we all silo thinking and acting? Are we working as one collective leadership team? 
And this is something which is key uh, for leadership to uh, realize that they influence and define the strategy, eh? whether it's an, uh, an acquisition. And if they do this, okay, if you acquire this company, eh, what you see a lot in America is that Americans, they pay, so they determine, okay, how things are done. And the Europeans, they are not used to this. To, to this eh? if, if they, I've got a recent example of a European uh, CFO who came to me and he said, yeah, we're acquired now by an American company and um, there's private equity behind it. And, and yeah, we're struggling with the American culture because they're not empathic, they don't show empathy. Uh, they're more uh, numbers driven and, and focus on the facts. And the Dutch are more, and the Europeans are more consensus driven. So there's a clash already on culture. And if you don't tackle this and, and, and discuss this upfront from, uh, if you are acquired by Americans and you, and you know this is gonna happen, let's have that conversation and the other way around, put on your glasses, take the other one as a starting point and don't take yourself as a starting point. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example that you shared, Richard. In fact, uh, um, I've, uh, you know, in my experience, when I was involved with uh, Asian acquirers, uh, acquiring European companies, it was kind of the reverse because uh, in, in, in Europe, as to your point, it's consensus, but in Asia, it's first about relationship building, but at Correct. the same time, there is a consciousness about hierarchy, you know, who sits yeah. where, you know, who sits at what chair at the table. I mean, Correct. simple things like those uh, can easily flare up in into into uh, into cultural clashes in, in an acquisition. So uh, great to hear those examples. Yeah, and 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 the intentions can be, you know, uh, sincere and and uh, with a, a good intention, but doesn't have to be the the right. Uh, thing to do, right? If you talk about Chinese people, for example, the, the highest in hierarchy must sit uh, uh, opposite the one who's the highest uh, as well eh, in rank. And if this is not the case, uh, then yeah, things can, they don't think it's respectful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also see, uh, you know, I remember an example where um, we had who will pay the bill, you know, yeah. and th this was always, it is the highest ranking in hierarchy is the person right. who ends up paying. And yeah. if you are a guest, you can never pay, you know, and that's the the kind of the Asian attitude versus uh, uh, the European where, hey, you know what, I've, uh, uh, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm the guest, um, then whether I pay or not, it's my discretion, but uh, uh, some very, very uh, interesting example. But go on, we'd love to hear more stories uh, from you. Good, good. So, so what else would you like to hear from me? Yeah, I think you mentioned about uh, leadership. Let's try and um, do a bit more deeper dive onto uh, the leadership aspect, right? I mean, because uh, you mentioned about some of the smaller companies where it's the leadership that kind of uh, embodies the cultural manifestation that needs to take place in in, uh, in organization. And what we see is, especially in the smaller companies, the leadership is the culture and the culture right. is the leadership. Right. You know, it's... it's, it's uh, um, and when these companies get acquired by larger companies, um, the larger companies often uh, think that the leader would exit the system, but the culture of that organization was the culture of the leader and therefore it exists, right? So the leader moves out and yet the culture remains fixated in the organization. How would organizations uh, deal with that? What, what would be a good starting point for that? Yeah, I think um, 
it, it starts with uh, if, if it's the major shareholder who was uh, bought by a bigger company, like you mentioned. I think uh, um, it's important that the, the one who acquired the company uh, really sets the tone and really sets the uh, expectations for, for the company, what will happen and what will be the impact for the people um, they're going to work with. Um, because uh, if this is not discussed up front, people will leave sooner than later yeah, because they don't feel uh, fitting and matching to that culture. So as a, as a management and as an owner of a business, uh, if you're a smaller business, um, you have to make sure that you discuss this upfront uh, uh, prior to the, uh, to the deal. But once the deal is done, you really have to make the transition and you have to uh, make a roadmap or a plan. Okay, how are we gonna uh, do this integration and what will be the impact for the company? Uh, will it be left alone as it is or will it be more integrated with systems, processes um, as, as the bigger company has? And this is something which varies I've seen uh, different companies do different things. Cool, and I, th I think that makes sense. Um, Marcella, you had some questions regarding uh, some of the uncertainties in culture. Um, you know, maybe it's a good time to ask uh, Richard uh, before he gets jaded. Richard, just I'm just curious as to you know you've shared some examples already, but um, can you share what are some of the biggest examples you've seen where you know there might have just been a huge culture mismatch? How how was that noticed? How was it observed? And you know, ultimately, was there anything that took place to sort of try to resolve the situation? Um, you know, decision that was made or or something else. Um, just curious to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, there are two examples coming to my to my mind right now. I start first with a smaller one. It, it's a Dutch company. They're in the let's say uh, investor business, and they're uh, investing in other companies and. In the Netherlands, two of the same sort of companies were merging together. And you think, okay, the, the business uh, is the same. Eh? They're all playing soccer or they all they both are in, in investing in, in companies. Um, but the decision styles, one was uh, more hierarchical. Um, uh, there was a, a clear hierarchy in, 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 in decision-making, while the other company was more about uh, consensus decision-making. So when those two merged, it didn't work out because they didn't discuss upfront, okay, how are we gonna take decisions? How are we gonna run this company moving forward? And, and what will be the impact uh, for everyone? So this is, this is one. And another one I've, um, uh, I've experienced when I spoke to the CEO of a large, was a Singapore uh, logistics company. And he said, I've got everything in place except for one thing, I wanna do something about culture. And for me, it was a little bit strange that he said this because for me, culture is, is involved in everything and everything the company does and everyone does. And they are in five continents. So, and this company was acquired by a Japanese company. And he, and this is what I've seen from more CEOs that they think everything will be fine. It will not go that fast, you know, the, the changes, etc. But when I ask more questions to the CEO, um, so did they bring in already more Japanese uh, executives into the company? Yes, on finance, yes, on this, yes, on that. And this for me are signals already that things are changing. But the CEO felt, okay, hey, results are still good. Uh, I, I'm not worried that, that, that things will change, but I already sense and, and feel that, okay, things will change and it will go faster than you think. And this is 
um, one of my relatives' family is, has been a CEO in, in, in a family business in, in, uh, in, in Asia. And uh, you have to be very careful what you say, you know, to, uh, to uh, owners, uh, because people make their own uh, assumptions about uh, what do you mean with things, or they make their own story. And, and yet, therefore, you have to be very careful in how you act uh, with the board and, and with, with, with uh, the leadership. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially in Asia, with, with hierarchy being in place, and also uh, the the do's and don'ts, what can you say versus what can't you say, when can you say, under what circumstances can you say, you know, it, all of that plays out. Um, now, this is the kind of skill that it may not necessarily be there around all the time, you know, and, and I'll also broaden this question. How does a company manage to get these done um, through, you know, just have internal resources only, or would they also want to bring in, or do have, should they bring in external resources yeah. to I manage? Think also, yeah, I think this is also a big difference from where you are. I mean, in the Netherlands, you live down in the Netherlands, you see that people all want to do everything by themselves, whether it's their house, whether it's the garden, whether it's their uh, what their business, they want to do everything by themselves because they don't want to, why spend uh, money if it's not necessary, if they can do it ourselves. Well, in Germany, I lived also in Germany for uh, three years. Um, they want to pay. They want to pay for quality. So if you're good and you're an expert in, in your field, they prefer to put an expert there uh, and, and, and make it happen. And the same applies actually for Asia, uh, where if you look at Indonesia, if you look at Singapore, people are willing to pay for strategy consultants, people are willing to pay for experts because they are the experts in their field. Why? Because you've got so many people in Asia and yeah, make sure you, you um, search for the right expert to help you reach your goals. Yeah. If I got, if, when I was living in Singapore, uh, if you go to the IKEA, here in the Netherlands, you have to do everything by yourself. You have to pick it up. You have to make the, the desk yourself. But if you're in, in Singapore, Four people come to your house and they they make they make the, uh, the the bed or something you bought. They do it for you because they have a, they've got people for that, and you do your own thing. You you make sure that you do you're the expert in what you're doing. Right. I love those analogies. Yeah. Awesome. So I hope this answers uh, the question. It, it, I think you need experts. You, you need to, and, and of course it depends, but uh, depends on the country where you live, and it depends on uh, what is the the issue. Right. And, and I know Marcella has a question to ask, but before you ask Marcella, there's one uh, question which is kind of dear to me. Um, in Asia, a, a lot of times the top boss or the CEO or, or whosoever, the chairman of the company, they believe that they know it all, um, which is which is kind of a, a mental block. You know, it's like, you know, what can you teach me? I, I've seen it all. I've done it all. I've known it all. Right. How do you how do you bring in um uh, the real, uh, the sort of realization, the kind of education, where you just talked about, hey, you know, I need a, 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 a strategist, a, a business strategist, but often they don't necessarily give enough importance to cultural strategists or the people who can uh, bridge culture, especially in in M and A. How would you, how would you advise companies to go about navigating that challenge? Is this for me uh, or for my Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. No, uh, Marcel has another question, but uh, ah, okay. uh, for you, Richard, yes. Um, 
Well, what I did, and, and I know you're a, a, a fan of this model as, of, as well, I, I call it the competing values framework of Quinn. And you, you mentioned it, you call it the... Uh, Cameron Quinn, because these Cameron were the two author, Quinn, authors, yes. Yeah. So, so what I did when I was based in Singapore and had my own uh, venture after I left uh, Corn Ferry, I, I worked with this model. And there I, I measured cultures in companies like uh, yeah, big Fortune 500 companies. I, I don't want to mention the name. But um, anyway, and, and with this, I could show them quickly, okay, what's your current culture today? And what is your strategy? And what's the gap? What's the gap between who you are? What are your uh, values you, you want, you're, you're saying you have? And what's the gap with your strategy? And based on this, I could quickly assess in 12 minutes if people are filling in the assessments, okay, what is the gap and what do we need to do? And then people, because it's uh, uh, evidence-based, uh, they like it very much. I think that's a great example. Marcella, sorry, I took your question yeah. away. No, I love that example. Evidence-based, collecting data, right? Assessing two different organizations or, or in comparison to the strategy and right. making it very... Um, very, uh, you know, um, data-driven, I think is, is fantastic. Um, what, what I was going to ask, you had mentioned, Richard, Singapore and Germany, and I know you had also mentioned that you had lived in, I think, like four countries over the span of nine or 10 years. I was just curious right. if you could share a little bit more about that um, and certainly any, you know, comparison, contrastment that you have from those experiences. Yeah. Uh, of course, my frame of reference is the Netherlands because I was born in Amsterdam, but my parents were born from uh, uh, the Dutch colony, Indonesia. So I've got some uh, Eurasian uh, uh, heritage. Uh, my last name is French, so 17th century. So I've got a lot of mi culture mixture in, in me. But if, you, if I remember uh, Singapore, eh, it's about the three C's cash car, uh, credit card. This is how it started when I, when <laughs> I went there uh, in 2007. And you have to uh, look at that company and that, uh, the way it was built. In the 50s, they not, didn't have a toilet. They didn't have, and, and their dream was to be Amer like America. So that everyone has a house and, and, and a car in front of them. But Singapore was like a swamp. It, it was not much. And they really built the, the country from scratch to one of the, yeah, for me, the, one of the best countries in the world. And um, if you want to win and, and uh, compete in that country, uh, with, with so many people over there, you have to really adapt to, okay, what, what, what are the, the, the trends over here? How do people behave? What do they like? And because I'm, of course, a little bit Asian, they think I'm a local, except when I speak, then I hear I'm not local. But anyway, so you, you, have, to, you have to make the connection with them. And, and uh, this is key. So in Germany, uh, if, I, if I go to another country, Germany, there they, it's very important that you speak the language. So you have to, and I only had high school German, which is uh, okay, but I didn't have the business uh, education in English, in German. So you have to learn, uh, you go to, to a school, you know, to learn the language, to, to speak it better. And you have to start the conversations with executives in, in German. So uh, also there, you learn quickly. Hey, if, if you go to the Netherlands, eh, let's say you drive uh, Mercedes, uh, if I drive an, uh, an E-Class Mercedes, then they, in, in the Netherlands, they give you a lower version because it's cheaper. But what do they do in Germany? They give me the S-Class. Why? Because they want me to buy that S-Class later on. And, and also hey, in Germany, uh, you've got a limousine service. So they pick you up with the S-Class with the Audi A8, et cetera. So the, the bigger your car, the better you do it in, 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 in their opinion. 
While in the Netherlands, it's not like this. You need to drive a Volvo. You need to be, um, don't put your head above the, uh, how do you say it? The, the field. Uh, I don't know how to say it in English. Anyway, so uh, these are different cultures and you have to adapt all the time to the way people behave and act uh, yeah, to make impact with what you do. You know, I think that's a great. Yeah, I think that's a great example uh, that you shared already, because uh, you know the Dutch, the German, um, uh, and the Singaporean one as well. And in fact, uh, I, I remember one conversation where we had um, uh, German and Dutch being involved in a transaction. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, the Dutch, even at the most serious meetings, have a tendency of cracking jokes. Whereas yeah. in German, that whenever there is a serious discussion, everybody is serious. You know? The Germans are, are very, very much about hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was living in Germany, I did a search for a CEO position for a uh, Swedish company, and a Swedish CEO came to Germany and he went into that office and said, "Hey, what is the table doing there?" He went to the bathroom, he came back, table was gone. You know, so this is the German style of, okay, uh, we follow uh, the order of the boss. And uh, th this is one example of, of uh, I mean, uh, working with German colleagues, uh, you hear different stories than the stories we heard uh, in the Netherlands uh, about the past. So it, it's very interesting to, to learn about other cultures, what drives them, what, what, what's their frame of reference, and how, how can you relate? Because in the end, it's all about building rapport, building relationships, and, and see if you can yeah, uh, influence and, and do business together. So being flexible and adaptable sounds like it's pretty important. Correct, correct. Speaking of uncertainties, because you mentioned about um, uncertainties in the world of MA, uh, but you've also been involved in uh, other transformations as well. Uh, how would you compare and contrast uh, with other transformations, whether it's geographic expansion, organization restructuring, yeah. or even ERP implementation? Yeah. So, so what I've seen, and this is for many multinationals, I've seen that they send people who are doing well in the country, in the home country or, or in, in a different continent, they send them to, let's say, Asia. And I've seen examples of uh, big for big companies um, where the leadership, the board, um, isn't able to uh, connect all the countries uh, to the strategy, and this has to do with a lot with with uh, the frame of reference again and the, and the, and and their leadership style, and and uh, if you want to win in China, India, ASEAN region, or Australia, New Zealand, these are all different countries and different cultures. So there's not one size fits all, like maybe in Germany, this is the way we do things. If you go uh, and work abroad, then things are done differently. Yeah, also Dutch companies, when they like to have meetings with their feet on the table, you know, to, to have an open brainstorm meeting, which is quite normal in Holland, just relax, just talk out loud and, and come up with all kinds of ideas. But in Asia, it doesn't work like this. So, uh, and, and this is what I've seen is that um, if people are sent abroad uh, as a leader, then really understanding the culture, where you're going, uh, relate with the people, what's going well, what are the challenges, start with them, start with the people first, and then try to uh, execute your strategy. Versus, this is our strategy, and now you have to adapt. You know, you're laughing, Machala, I see. Uh, I'm I'm smiling because that's great advice, right? You can't just go in with your perspective and just try to like 
steamroll it out, right? You have to build the relationships and understand the culture. You should, you know, do your due diligence upfront before you even go into that new location so that you have a heads up on, you know, what you might encounter and what you should, you know, common um, customs, just the way, the way people work together, behaviors, all that thing, all of that. So you can kind of be prepared um, when you're moving into that situation. But this this is something, and and I think this is also one of the the topics I'm very passionate about is leadership. And leadership is, okay, what what is your objective? When I was younger, I'll be honest, for me, it was all about results, being the best, being the number one. I've been there a couple of times in different companies in different countries. But when I get older, it's not about that. It's about how can you develop people that they become better in what they're doing. If they are becoming better, you will uh, shine as well. So it becomes more like, let's say, servant leadership where you have to make sure that people are successful. If people are successful, then you're also successful. And this is something what I see also with the younger, younger generation of leaders that they, uh, they like this very much. And, and um, uh, so then you go in the, the country or the, the region where you have an assignment to do, to turn around or, or to launch a new business. Uh, but you, your starting point is different. Your internal motivation is different. Absolutely. And I think um, um, the the whole aspect of uh, sort of motivation, um, sort of you know, this cultural interventions becomes extremely important in any transformation. Now, uh, you mentioned about you know the model that I call Cameron Quinn, uh, the competing yeah. values model. Um, I, I think uh, without sort of speaking a bit more uh, about that model, um, uh, would be unfair for our listeners. So if you could just elaborate on what that model is, and then we'll kind of wrap up our show today. So um, yeah. will that work for you? Yeah, uh, sure, no problem. I mean, uh, Cameron Quinn, they came up with there are actually actually four. Uh, management models. Uh, you've got companies who are very much results driven. Yeah, it's all about the numbers and, and uh, yeah, achieving the goals. On the other, on, on the bottom left, uh, you've got uh, companies who are very much process driven, like German companies. Just follow the process and results will come. On the top left, yeah, so it's like a circle. On the top left, you've got the companies who are very much focused on people. If you just Make sure that the people are fine, then the results will come. And on the top right, it's about innovation and entrepreneurship. As someone like Steve Jobs, who has been very much about what's the next new product for Apple. And, and this, he's focused very much on innovation. But as a company and as a leader, you have to be round. You have to be end results and process and people and innovation. So uh, based on that model, uh, uh, and then this was the conclusion from Cameron Quinn, You need all the four management models in a company, but also as a business leader. So you have to be balanced. You you can't be spiky on this and and low on this. And as a company, you have to, you also, if you look at your values, you have to make sure that you play on all the four uh, quadrants actually uh, as as a company. So this model helps to uh, identify, okay, what are the gaps? This model helps to identify uh, what needs to be done to make our company more in balance? Yeah, and and or, or if this is our strategy, what kind of competences, what kind of skills do we need to... Um, if you want to play football and you've got only defenders in your team and you want to play attack, you need to have people who can play attack as well, right? So uh, this is the way you can look at your company. This is the way how you can look at your teams. This is the way how you can look at your culture. 
and I've got the assessment tools to uh, to measure that and then to uh, make the changes. In fact, uh, uh, you know, the Cameron Quinn model is one of the models that uh, I include in my masterclass on M&A integration. And Marcella, you, you remember the discussion where we talked about different companies or different kinds of companies, different culture, even at a functional and a team level. So uh, the, the the values are there. So it's an it's an excellent tool uh, for cultural assessment. And, and for our viewers and listeners, we're going to put the details of uh, the framework as well as uh, uh, what framework Richard has in our show notes um, in the description below, but um, it's it's a great tool. Uh, Marcela, I know you have uh, last couple of questions uh, that you, you may want to ask, and then we'll wrap up our show. Thanks, Anirvan. So Richard, um, looking ahead, is there, you know, when you think about the future of M&A, um, any thoughts on, on where you see things evolving in the future? Um. If you look at M&A and if you look at activity in, the, in Europe today, it's, it's huge. You see a lot of acquisitions happening and I'm talking to a lot of companies over here who are in the M&A field. Uh, but I think if you look at integration, M&A integration, for me, the key thing is all again about leadership uh, and culture and what's the strategy of that company. Uh, if, and, and that must be aligned. If that's not aligned, then uh, things can go wrong which is a waste of money, a waste of time for everyone. Uh, so this is, uh, for me, a key thing. Thank you. Welcome. Excellent. And uh, I guess uh, uh, this brings us to my penultimate question. Um, any final thoughts uh, for our listeners and viewers uh, before we step to the last question? Um, I think if you're working in a company that is acquired or, or, uh, or you're acquiring a company, uh, my advice would be uh, turn off your glasses, take off your glasses, I mean, and, and, and put on the glasses of the, the investor. If you know who is your boss and you know what, your, what, what drives your boss, if you know that, you can influence that, right? But if you, if you only think about yourself, then it doesn't work. So for the company that acquires, yeah, I know you want to maybe want to do a buy and build strategy. You want to acquire and, and build on top of it so you can do an exit later where you can um, do a great multiple. Uh, I know that's your goal, but how to achieve that is working, in my opinion, with the people, with the leadership and with the culture to achieve that goal. That's uh, a wonderful way to summarize uh, what we talked about today. I'm sure some of the listeners would like to continue this conversation. What's the best way they can get in touch with you? Well, um, they can uh, call me. Uh, my number is plus three one six five seven seven, and then I have to look at my. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but email is fine. Richard.Vincent at Rivian.com. Rivian.com. R i v i o n t. dot com is my website. They, they can see also my services, what I do. Uh, my clients are international companies, private equity, uh, portfolio companies of private equity, and the professional financial professional services firms. So excellent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. yeah, we're going to put these details in the description box. So we'll put your number as well if you want okay. uh, for yeah. numbers. Um, but this was awesome. Thank you so much, Richard, for joining us and sharing your thoughts uh, on cultural aspects. Especially, I love the stories from Asia and then the German stories as well. I'm sure, Marcella, uh, you loved it as well. I did. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for having me both. And I wish you a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Bye.
Hey, Marcella, I think that was a great session. We got a lot of insights from Richard. What do you think? I loved the session. It was awesome to hear about Richard's super diverse background and experiences living in so many different countries. I learned so much. Hope we get to chat with him again. And wanted to also give a shout out for any viewers and listeners out there. If you enjoyed this content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and please give us a like. We're also out there on seven different podcast channels, so be sure to find us there as well. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you so much, Marcela. And uh, I absolutely enjoyed it. And it's it's been fun posting with you. And I look forward to doing a lot more. Um, so with that, I would wish everybody stay healthy, stay safe wherever you are in the world. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.